Welcome to the Renewing the Center podcast. My name is Chris McDaniel, and we want to thank you for joining us today. Here at Renewing the Center, we're answering God's call to work for the spiritual renewal of the church. For more information, visit renewingthecenter.org. We're glad to have you with us today. Now, let's make some space for God's renewing work. Today, we're going to look at the Holy Spirit's coming and the mission of the church, specifically focusing our time in reading in Acts chapter 2. So I'm going to read Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Very familiar passage to many of us. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one of them heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we... Here, each of us in our own native language, Parthenians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Fierga and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Serene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. In our own language, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they're filled with new wine. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray before we jump in. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your work. God, it has been such a privilege to reflect so deeply on the person and work of your spirit over these last weeks. And I pray today that we would think about how you come to us by looking at how you came to those early friends of yours and what it happens or what should happen when you start Holy Spirit to do more and more in our lives. We just pray that you'd lead us into mission in Jesus name. Amen. So I think I alluded to this early on in our study on the person and work of the spirit. Uh, I, I spent a, a great deal of time in the second chapter of Acts when I was doing doctoral work at Asbury Seminary. Uh, this second chapter of Acts became a kind of um, home base for me, frankly, for three years of doctoral work. And so I knew that this is where we had to uh, conclude our study in the work of the Spirit. We're going to actually do a, a practice on Friday uh, to wrap up our time. But for the purpose of study, this is where I wanted to, to end. So you're probably familiar with how the rest of chapter 2 goes. Acts 2 is one of the most uh, pivotal chapters actually in our Bible. After this coming of the Spirit... 2,000 people become believers in one day. And then we're given a picture of the life of the early church. And this picture has been a, a kind of template, if you will, for what being Christian in community looks like now for 2,000 years. There, there was conversion and then preaching and then meal sharing among Christians, devotion, personal rhythms of worship uh, and corporate worship, and then baptism. This is it. Uh, and Christians all want to practice the rhythms of the early church. We, we want to be uh, a winsome place where preaching happens and meal sharing and communion and devotion and baptism happen. But I just want to say that these uh, good things that we all desire are absolutely impossible apart from the life of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit. 
you can't read the last half of Acts 2 and just choose that. You have to actually deal with the Holy Spirit's arrival if you want the community and the preaching and the meal sharing and the devotion and all those other wonderful things. They go together. So let's look at this text and see what we can see. The Holy Spirit, we're told, comes on the day of Pentecost. And many of us who are not Jews, we have no idea what Pentecost is other than we think of it as being synonymous with the Holy Spirit's arrival. The, the Feast of Pentecost is a Jewish feast day. It's actually an agricultural feast where Jews would bring the first fruits of the wheat harvest and offer the first fruits to God. And this is really important, y'all, that God chooses to begin the story of the Christian church. Acts 2 is the birth of the church and the arrival of the Holy Spirit, that that would happen at a feast that celebrates the culmination of an agricultural process. See, that which had been begun by Jesus now is coming to fruition. The seeds that have been sown now become a crop, and God is coming in the person of the Holy Spirit uh, at a day when Jews would be bringing crops to give thanks to God. Pentecost is also an occasion where Jews would celebrate the renewal of God's covenant with his people. It was a day where they would bring their crops and say effectively, you haven't forgotten us. Long processes that seem like they would never come to fruition are coming to fruition. So it's so fitting that the Holy Spirit would come because one of the jobs of the Spirit is to remind you that God sees things through, that things that seem like they're not going to work out, sometimes the Holy Spirit's rooting and then growing and then something beautiful and fruit-bearing emerges. And so it's no coincidence that the Holy Spirit arrives at the Feast of Pentecost, an agricultural feast that honors process, a time when Jews would say, you've not forgotten your covenant to us. And I think as you and I, as we think about the work of the Holy Spirit, uh, we need to recognize that there is a process in the work of the Spirit, that there is a, a sense of almost like farming, and that the Holy Spirit reminds us, God reminds us that he has not forgotten us in those processes. So I want to look at these first few uh, verses in Acts 2 and give you a sense of the clear progression, because I think you'll find your own story in these uh, moments of progression. I know I have. So number one, Jesus's friends are waiting together in one place. They're afraid as they wait. There's been a lot of trouble. Uh, the, the Messiah has been killed. His friends have heard reports and experienced the resurrection, and they've been told by Jesus to wait. And so that's what they're doing. But they're not waiting alone. They're waiting together. See, in Acts 1, Jesus tells his friends, go to Jerusalem and wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit, and they obey him. They wait together. Y'all, we have to learn how to wait for the good thing that God wants to do, and we need to learn to wait together. I believe that this season of pandemic has been uh, terribly painful in large part because we don't know how to wait, and we don't know how to wait together. A lot of us have feel more isolated now than we have at any other time in our lives. And it's very instructive for us to hear Jesus say to his friends in Acts chapter 1, you're going through a really hard time. You've got to find your people and wait for me to do something good, but wait with those people. And I just want to say to you, one of the ways that you're going to experience the work of the Spirit grow in your life is to learn to find your people and wait with them for God to do good things in your life. So I just want to ask you this question. How are you doing in the arena of waiting? 
I think about my own struggle with waiting. I, I don't wait well. I don't wait with patience. I struggle to sometimes to stay expectant of good things while I wait. And that's probably true for you as well. I believe the Lord is asking each and every one of us to learn how to wait, to look for and hope for something good from God that has not yet arrived. So where could you stand to actually cultivate an active waiting? Who might your people be that you could wait with as you look for God to work? See, God is inviting us to learn how to wait for good things. This gets at an essential virtue of Christianity, which is the virtue of delayed gratification, delayed satisfaction. We sing a song at Trinity uh, that says, is one of its lines, God, you are working in my waiting. Oftentimes, waiting is lonely work. And I believe the Lord wants you and me to combat that lonely work by learning to wait together. Karen and I have a, a, a small cluster of really close friends, and we've learned to wait with them. Uh, we've ridden out much of this pandemic with uh, another couple who are our trusted friends, our traveling companions, and they make the waiting better, more tolerable. Y'all, there's a reason why Jesus told his friends, I want you to wait in Jerusalem, but not isolated. I don't want you to wait in cells all by yourself. He said, wait together. We, we need the support and encouragement to keep our heads and hearts clear in the midst of uncertainty and frustration. So number one, the Holy Spirit, God calls, Jesus calls them to wait together. Number two, the Holy Spirit comes to them and what they experience when the Spirit comes, they experience tongues of fire and wind, violent wind. Now, it's very important for us to hear this. The Holy Spirit is not wind and fire. He is like wind and fire. Because so often what people do with the Holy Spirit is they take uh, the personification of the Holy Spirit away and the Spirit becomes like the force in the Star Wars movies. So it's very important for us to hear. The text is not saying the Holy Spirit is wind and fire. The text is saying the Holy Spirit is like wind and fire. So what does that mean? Number one, I think it means that the Holy Spirit engages our senses, that we all are meant to have an experience of the Spirit, that it's not just meant to be, the Spirit is not just meant to be something you think about, but something you experience, specifically in the arena of uh, sensing. They sense wind. You don't see wind, you sense it, but then they hear and see wind and fire. The Holy Spirit wants to open up our eyes and ears to see and hear what God is doing. So what would these words or these images or this sense of wind and fire have stirred in the first Christians? Ezekiel 37 would have probably been uh, the first thing they would have thought of with regard to the violent wind blowing through the house, that the Holy Spirit in Ezekiel 37 breathes life into dead bones, the valley of dry bones, takes that which has been um, deanimated, which has lost something, and then breathes ruach, spirit, wind, breath into dead things and brings them back to life. The Holy Spirit was actually bringing the the dead hope of the disciples back to life. And I'm going to tell you, each and every one of us have something in us that has probably died lost ground, a place where we've lost hope or lost confidence. The Holy Spirit wants to breathe life into that which has been dead. But they also experienced tongues of fire. And they would have likely thought of the burning bush or fire connected to purification, like when Jeremiah received a coal touched on his tongue that purified his voice to speak the word of God. Remember the burning bush. Moses had lost hope. 
lost direction. He was in midi and felt disqualified. He'd taken matters into his own hands, and he was now just working for his father-in-law. And when he experienced the burning bush, what God was saying to him is, Moses, I'm not finished with you. I've got more for you to do. The burning bush put Moses back in the game. The tongue, coal, fire that Jeremiah received put him back in the game, purified his voice. The Holy Spirit wants to not only breathe life wind into you, the Holy Spirit wants to purify you and get you going again. He wants to um, re-qualify you in the places where you may feel disqualified. And many of us, the older that we get, the more prone to feelings of disqualification we are, the Holy Spirit wants to put you back in the game and breathe life into you. It's very important for us to hear that when the Holy Spirit comes, he doesn't shame his friends for hiding. He reanimates them and puts them back into a place of life and vibrancy. And y'all, that's what the Holy Spirit wants to do for you and for me right now. So where are you lacking Where are you sad? Where are you discouraged? Where are you afraid? Where are you hiding? That's where the Holy Spirit wants to go and begin to re-engage you. Do you and can you believe that the Holy Spirit wants to put you back in the game? Make you useful again in your family, in your heart, in your worship of God? That's what the Spirit wants to do. That's what he did for the first friends of Jesus. And that's what he wants to do for you. The job hasn't changed. See, you have to understand their situation had not changed. They were still right to be afraid, but the way that they were engaging their situation did in fact change. And I want to say to you, that's what the Spirit wants to do for you. Your circumstance may not change, but the way you are in your circumstance is meant to change. The third thing we see here is they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled with the Spirit is an echo of Jesus' words about being baptized with the Spirit. The word uh, baptize means to immerse, saturate, soak to the bone. The Holy Spirit wants to fill you, not just clean you, but soak you, drench you. And that's exactly what happens. These formerly fearful people are now saturated with the work of the Spirit. And what happens? The fourth thing we see here is these former um, fearful Afraid, hidden people are now compelled to move outward toward others walking in the gifts of the Spirit. They speak in tongues. They're enabled to communicate in the heart language of other people. See, there would have been tons of people in Jerusalem at the Feast of Pentecost because it was a feast. And they would have spoken uh, lots of childhood languages. And they would have also all spoken essentially um, Hebrew or Greek. They would have had some understanding of common language. And yet it's interesting here that the Holy Spirit, as he moves these fearful friends of his out, that he doesn't just speak Greek or Hebrew about the goodness of God, but he gets into the uh, groundwater of their childhood languages. The Holy Spirit wants to give you gifts that enable you to connect in the heart language of people around you. See, the gift of speaking in tongues here was not to make them super Christians. It was so that they would communicate. Now, there are two types of tongues in the New Testament. What we see here, actual languages, the supernatural ability to communicate languages. And then there's a private prayer language. And so here we're seeing a supernatural manifestation of the Holy Spirit in a language, a discernible language. Now, I don't have that gift. Um, I do have a personal private prayer language, the gift of tongues like you would see in the New Testament regarding personal devotion. But I ask for the gifts of the Spirit. 
And I think going back to what we've said before, the Lord wants you to be the kind of person that asks for the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And what we see here is that the gifts of the Spirit were useful to move them outward toward other people. God doesn't want to make you a hidden, cloistered uh, super Christian. He wants to move you out toward people so that you would speak their heart language. And while I don't speak foreign languages, I do ask the Holy Spirit and believe he's given me the gift to connect with people on a heart level. But that's available to each and every one of us. Here's where I'm going to end it. People judge them. The last verse we read in this text says that people think they're drunk in the morning, like a, like a Georgia tailgating uh, before a bulldog game. These friends of Jesus have been impacted by the Holy Spirit's power, and they're accused of being drunk. And I think there are a couple of reasons for this. Number one, they've surrendered to God and are willing to look foolish, which begs the question, are you willing to look foolish? Are you willing to surrender control to be childlike? And I think the second reason why they were accused of being drunk is that they're full of life, full of joy. They're probably laughing, full of hope at a time when they should have been discouraged. And people don't know what to do with you when you're full of joy, when they think you should be afraid. See, I believe God wants to infect us with life. And the Holy Spirit is the bringer of life. And so I say with the early church, come Holy Spirit. I pray that prayer over you. Come, Holy Spirit, and do what only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. As we end, remember, our goal is to learn to reflect on and respond to God's renewing work in our everyday lives. So take some time to recall an idea or image that encouraged or challenged you in this episode. Carry this with you into your day as a conversation starter between you and God. Allow him to show you how it connects to your life right now. What does he want you to know or do? And how will you respond? Thanks for listening. We look forward to having you back with us here next time at Renewing the Center. <music>